another edition of Cafe de Rene. I am the host or co-host Sparewheel Chapman today, James Dunstall. And I'm joined once again by the start of the show, Mr. Rene Dupree. Rene, how are you doing today? Hello, bonjour tout le monde. Je vous souhaite le bienvenue au Carnival. I am doing great. Wonderful. It's a beautiful morning here in Tokyo. And uh, are we talking about, what are we talking about? Uh, rehab. <laughs> oh, just a second. Okay, this is the shits. Rehab, let's do it, baby. Uh, before we get into talk of rehab, today I'd like to always mention something that's happened in the news. I found an interesting question by WWE today. Okay, go ahead. What was it? What's WWE's most memorable photo? What's the memorable first thing? Yeah. Photo? Like, yeah, in the history of WWE, what photo, um, what picture do you automatically think of? Now, I had one straight away that comes to my head, but I'm interested to hear what you say. Hogan slamming Andre? That, your one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, automatically my mind went to Brett and Austin in Pouring the Blood, the sharpshooter. Ah, uh, that's a good one. Yeah, there's no right answer, but in my instance, I saw the question, I'm like, yeah, that just went straight to me. Ed. Well, I mean, you do have a Bret Hart shrine in your house that you pray to every morning before you go to work, right? Yeah. So, rehab. So, right, Renee, I mean, this is all you today, uh, like every show, but we'll start off. Um, when the thoughts, how did it come about you going to rehab? Was there a certain point in your career where, like, like right, I need to get rehab, or did one of the agents or management come to you to say, right, we're sending you to rehab? No, it was my idea. It was my, I got, if you look at my whole like shit my entire especially in wwe like i had zero fucking body fat right so you know when you take all those bumps man and you have like your lean as ripped as i was like that takes its toll after a while because you have no padding right and then i you know got introduced to muscle relaxers you know because i had lower back pain even as young as I was, I was still, you know, feeling it. So I think we had, we had a conversation with like Dinsmore and uh, Matt Morgan about the, the muscle, the somas, right? It's muscle relax. So they, they work, <clears throat> you know, if you take one or one, maybe two, that's what they do. They really, you know, they relax your muscles and when you're tense and all that stuff. So I became, you know, I got into the habit of, of you know, taking one before a match just to loosen up. You know, but of course you build the tolerance and then the screwed up wrestler mentality thinks you, because we're so big, we need more. We're not, we're not average, right? <clears throat> and, and that's a tricky thing because, you know, you could take, sometimes take one or two and you're fine. It does the job, but then you might take three or four and you build a tolerance and eventually you'll overtake it and then just, yeah, screw yourself up, right? So it was after um, it was after the, the night that me and Sly had debuted with uh, ECW. Hey. 
right? And then the following day, they wanted us to go to OVW and uh, just work another match or whatever to get more, you know, get our timing together and work on some new stuff. <clears throat> that day there, like, my lower back was just fucking on fire. So, of course, I said, okay, I'll take... By, by that time, I had built a tolerance taking, like, three or four, right? But like that stuff is tricky sometimes you'll get some more potent pills and anyway i got all screwed up before a match and to me that was like every addict eventually reaches a rock bottom you know where they finally realize holy shit okay i can't control this stuff anymore you know and that that was mine because you know i take so much pride in in my work and what i love that I just realized at that point <clears throat> that I had a problem, right? So, um, mm -hmm. no, um, carry on. Yeah. So, uh, well, I got, I got, you know, the administration was was pissed, you know, because that I called up, I called up John and said, "Listen, man, I can't do this anymore. Just my head's all screwed up." Plus, like outside of the ring, like uh, I had just gone through a breakup like a four-year relationship and you know some people can can handle it well others can't I didn't so I was kind of going through like a a wild a wild part of my life where I just wanted to be the bad boy and all that bullshit right so I party a lot you were so young were you 23 at this time Is that I yeah I just turned 23 Right. Yeah. So from like, you know, the ages of 16 or 14 to like 21, man, I was like straight and narrow, just disciplined, like, you know. And then after the breaking up with that, you know, girl that I was with for like four and a half years, then I decided, okay, I'm going to fucking enjoy my youth and party a little bit, you know. That's when I discovered like going out to clubs and drinking. Yeah. And then I realized that, wow, a lot of girls like me. <laughs> Let's just say I had a really, really good time. <laughs> does, uh, does it make much of a difference while you were dating WWE? Like, having a girlfriend, and at the time a serious girlfriend, mm. was, that, was that a good thing for yourself during the time in WWE? Or was it a bad thing, like you... I don't know how to explain because a lot of the wrestlers we spoke about, like Jake Roberts, they brought their wives along with them. <clears throat> yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think it's a good thing having someone while you're in WWE, or do you think people are better off in WWE being single, for example, and not having worries about family life, for example, partners, girlfriends, boyfriends, etc.? <sighs> well, in my case, I think it was a very codependent relationship. Meaning, like, I wouldn't have been able to have done all the extracurricular stuff without her, because I depended on her a lot. Like, okay, showing up, going to the gym, keeping myself in shit, going in the ring, doing my thing, that that's all on me. But it's all the other shit, like, taking care of your taxes and all, you know, 
all the other responsible stuff you need to do, like paying off the credit cards and <clears throat> booking hotels and all that other shit, right? So I, I was very codependent on her, <clears throat> which, which is not a good thing. You got to be more independent, right? But uh, for me, it was like, okay, I go on the road, do my thing. And then for me, like knowing I was coming home and like at the time I lived in Kentucky, knowing that she's going to be there to pick me up at the airport, waiting for me at the end of the, at the bottom of the escalator. That was always a great fucking feeling, right? Because you know, she was a pretty little Southern gal, right? And I was, in, I, I, yeah, I was in love with the girl. But a part of me, I guess, hit a point where it was like, well, maybe I, I should be single. I felt like the office wanted me to be single, too. I, I don't know. read in um, Sean Michael's first book. Yeah. Uh, how much of it is true, I don't know. Um, right. But he mentioned in his book that the office was happy to put the title on him because he was single at the time. Well, he was, you know, he was backstage doing whatever with Sonny, but the office saw him as this young single guy who didn't have a family compared to Brett, who had a wife and kids. So, in his opinion, the office thought, right, we've got this young guy. He's one of the best in the ring. He hasn't got family to worry about. We can just depend on him. Even though he's the worst person you could depend on. (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I can understand that mentality too, yeah. <clears throat> because, I mean, like, look at Ricky Steamboat, right? He had gotten the Intercontinental title, but he just had a kid and he wanted time off, and then Vince didn't want to give it to him because he wanted him to roll with him. And I think, I, I, I again, I don't know Ricky's personal life or anything, but from what you hear, it's like his ex-wife was a real detriment to his career, right? trying to get involved right and there's a lot of that believe it or not there's a lot of that you got these wives who all of a sudden want to become like uh sharon osborne right they want to like control your career and you know so it's always an interesting topic like wrestlers with families some of them make it work but a lot of them don't and it's uh it's always an interesting thing to hear but so how did it come about then you uh going into rehab um did when did the office agree to say right we'll send you yeah to i asked them for help that incident happened i said you know what boom right away they they sent me to uh first you go you go to like a detox or whatever to see if uh see like i, I wasn't physically addicted to anything you know it wasn't to the point where i needed it to, to function it was just every day it's like I had to get screwed up on something, whether it be alcohol or maybe a little bit of pot or whatever. I, I hadn't like dived into the hardcore drugs, like cocaine and all that shit. I didn't do that stuff. It was like the pankos, because I mean, Jesus Christ, you do what we do, you're gonna be in pain, dude. Yeah, um, you know, it's. I've mentioned to you, that you know what I do for work and things like that. I fell off a ladder and yeah, I still feel pain in my back, but. When I was in the hospital, I was only in the hospital for what, two or three days. Yeah. Like X-rays and stuff. And when they uh, offered me morphine, not injecting, but you're just little like little paper cups. Uh, would you like some more morphine? I was like, yes, please. And it was great. <laughs> and as yeah. I'm taking it, I'm like, wow, I can, I can, I realize how people get addicted to stuff. And yeah. obviously, your line of work 
you know, taking bumps every day, I can understand why wrestlers need painkillers. And when, and I don't smoke weed, I never have done, uh, but when I hear the, uh, the benefits from it, from the likes of RVD, like, you know, he's the main proponent for it. And uh, I think in Brett's book, when they outlawed me, they said a lot, he said a lot of the wrestlers tend painkillers. I can understand. And now I, I think I mentioned it to you, didn't I? Yeah, WWE's actually taking it off their wellness policy now, Wade. You can actually oh, are they? And that, <laughs> oh, that's actually going to save so many lives. Yeah. No, like all the law, like the, the myths of marijuana and stuff. To me, it's all bullshit. Like, I'd rather... And I, I rarely even smoke pot ever. I mean, I'm, I'm from Canada. I can go right down, literally, I can walk to the fucking the, the dispensary and get myself whatever the hell I want, the highest potency pot, and smoke it on the side of the road and not have to worry about shit because I'm Canadian, right? But it's not something I really do that often, you know? And now that I'm getting older... 38, like, I don't even drink much anymore. Like, usually, like, I, when I'm in Japan, like, I'd fucking, every other night, I'd fucking go out and, you know, get myself a six-pack, maybe sit in my room and listen to music, and then, you know, but now, I, I has your interest in doing that anymore either, you know? So, <laughs> but, back to the, the whole, rehab. so, they sent me to a detox in Tennessee, so it's like a, I had to stay there for eight hours and they just to monitor me or whatever. And the doc, the doctor was like, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, you're not like, there were some people in there that had to be there because if they, you know, they could either die because there were alcoholics who, you know, an alcoholic who doesn't get his, his alcohol, they can go into seizures and die. And then people who are hooked on opioids, you know, they get deathly sick. I mean, puking and diarrhea, and it's just horrible, right? So I didn't have any of that. So I decided instead of going straight from there to the rehabilitation center, I was going to go back to Louisville for a weekend, right? Just to have one last party. And uh, Johnny Ace calls me on the phone. What the fuck, Renee? I thought you were supposed to go to rehab. Boy, you in rehab. We hooked it up for you, Renee. I mean, oh, let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. You want to go back to Louisville and get fucked up on pills? It's like, no. I want to get drunk. <laughs> and boy, did I ever. <laughs> yeah, hey, and that was, with... was that? Did you party with that night? Uh, who was all there? Uh, I think Cody Rhodes was there. Well, we started off at a Hooters. It was a bunch of us at Hooters. Joy Mercury was there and Cody Rhodes was there. Sly was there. Um, the beautiful French Canadian girl was there. We shall remain nameless. And uh, Cliff Compton was there. There was a bunch. And then we went out to a club afterwards, and I got so messed up. When I drink, I turn wild. I'm like a wild child. So part of me wanted to jump on top of the hood of a car, and then I slipped, and I busted my hand. So I walk into the club, and I'm, I'm bleeding profusely. Because alcohol thins your blood, right? So so I'm there at the bar wrapping up my hand. And Nigel McGinnis was there too. Yeah. And yeah. So at the end of the night, well, there's more to the story involving the French Canadian girl, but I'm not going to get into it. And then, um, and then, uh, 
What? No, I guess it was an awesome night. No, 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 no. It's it's actually no. It's right. maybe someday I'll get into it. It was no. It was nothing sexual at all. Zero. It was. But what? Um, what did the uh, locker room say when they when you told them that you was going to rehab? I think I told you over them. They're like, oh, that's great. I don't think anybody gave a fuck. No. <laughs> but <clears throat> so the first one, because I, well, it's a pretty long story. So I went, the first one was in Tennessee, right? And it was on a farm. It was on a horse farm. So when I got there, it was, yeah, there was a few older fellas, but it was mostly younger guys in their 20s and 30s. I, there was like a record producer or something. He like worked on albums for Led Zeppelin and shit. So there's some pretty interesting characters that were there, right? And uh, there was female and males, but like the females were in a separate big house up the hill, and then the guys were in a different house, like next to like uh, literally like a stable of horses, right? So every morning I'd wake up my coffee, I'd sit on the porch, and I. You ever see a horse shit? Parents has a farm, so yes. Yeah, it's the goddamnest amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. It's just a fucking trail of manure coming out of this horse's asshole. Like the tail lifts up and it's like, it's like, wow. So that was very uh, spiritual for me <laughs> every morning. <laughs> yeah, so then, uh, but I actually I ended up getting kicked out of that place because uh, number one, they wouldn't let me go to the gym more than three times a week. Right, and that's uh, oh nay nay. I need to go to the gym more often than that. And like they would, fuck. It was like they they make you like sit in groups and want to do like animal faces and shit. Like okay, maybe that's a method that I guess that gets you out of your comfort zone. And I actually stood up and I told the told the counselor. I said, listen, <clears throat> my job requires me to perform in my fucking speedos in front of 20 to 30,000 people every night. Getting out of my comfort zone isn't exactly a problem for me. Okay? I want to know the science behind this shit. What, you know, what's an opioid? How, how, why am I addicted to this shit? Why, you know? So, uh, I was politely asked to leave. And because there's like a non-disclosure, like, they couldn't like, if the office asked, like, called and asked where I was, they weren't supposed to say because there's a non-disclosure. So they didn't know that I was out. <laughs> they didn't know that I got kicked out. <laughs> How many other arrests do you reckon that's happened? Was that? How many other do you think? Is that done the same thing? I don't know. I don't know. It's possible. Yeah. But, but me being me... So from Tennessee, I was living in Houston at the time, Texas, right? And I was in Houston. <clears throat> so I'm driving back from Tennessee to Houston. I'm, I get to like Texarkana. And I call up John and said, yeah, John, I got kicked out. What the fuck, Renee? You got to go back. I go, no, they, they, they kicked me out, John. Oh, what the fuck? You're going to get fired. So right at that point, when he said that, you're going to get fired. Because Johnny would always fuck with me, telling me, I can fire you anytime, Renee. I can fire you. I'm going to fire you, Renee. I have, that, I have that much power. When he said those lines, that was like, oh. So you don't have that much power. Basically, like, I was one of those guys that if Johnny had tried to, like, 
I was on Vince's special, like, okay, this guy's going to be money for me in the future list. You understand? So at that point, I realized, oh, okay. So you can't, you don't have the power to just fire me. Because he tried that too. He tried that with the boogeyman. They fired boogeyman at 9 a.m. on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. By 3 p.m. that afternoon, Boogie had his job back. Yeah. As soon as Vince found out that Johnny had fired Boogie, he says, fucking hire him up and probably even gave him a raise. Yeah. 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 No, uh, everybody liked Boogie. Vince loved Boogie. Someone will have to try and get on the show over the match. He's got plenty of fun stories. Uh, Marty, Marty's a great guy. Great guy. Yeah. Try and reach out to him. I would imagine some good stories. Obviously, time this episode goes out, everyone's listened to that Paul London episode and the Boogeyman and Stevie Richards story. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, everyone, please go back after this, go into the uh, playlist. Great story. Yeah. Um, so you finished up in that rehab then, center. Uh, so where was you going? So, next? yeah. So the lady who was in charge of it. So basically I had to give permission. <laughs> I had to give permission. Like I was on a three-way phone call with like the administrator from the, the Tennessee rehab and the girl who was in charge of whatever. And I had to like give her like an oral <clears throat> permission like on the phone to let them say why they kicked me out. And it's because I was being a fucking asshole, basically. Like contradicting everything they're saying. Just being, a, you know what I mean? Like they want me to sit in groups, make animal faces, pretend that I'm a tiger. I go, motherfucker, what the fuck is this bullshit? You know? I remember every day we'd go to like these, uh, it was uh, dual sex, like a men and women group meetings, right? And I'd go to the bathroom. Every day, the same girl would have her pants, on, like she'd be like, just finishing up. I think, you see, like a lot of people when they get off, like, um, narcotics or whatever their libido goes sky high right okay like their sick their sex drive and this one girl she was actually well you could tell the drugs affect her but she was still young and attractive and every day i go to open up the the stall there's like one singular toilet whatever right so i go to open up and she like being there half naked and i'm thinking is she purposely doing this to like like want to get like Rerended here, like <laughs> seriously, because it happened every single day. Looking back, maybe no, it's probably a good thing I didn't. But she was attractive. But anyway, temptations there, like you're not you're not doing painkillers, you're not drinking, and you know what of a chunk. You're not going to the gym, so choices <laughs> to jump. Yeah, so I mean, it's like you gotta do something with your time, right? I read a lot, drank coffee. <clears throat> so yeah so yeah i was back in, then they sent me to a rehab in atlanta uh talbot recovery center a lot of people went there like eddie guerrero went there william regal went there uh tom pritchard like a, a lot a lot of guys went there right and i actually asked for that one i mean that one was really good because they they educated you on the science it was a three month a three month um a three-month deal and like uh i really i really because they put you in like they have all these doctors and psychiatrists and you know they analyze you and 
they listen to you speak for a couple of weeks, then they <clears throat> assign you to different groups where they feel like you should like, one of the groups I was in was like uh, relationships and like uh, actually sex addiction. They put me in that group, right? And uh, that's where I learned a lot about relationships and uh, just, yeah. You, and um, <clears throat> there again, there's male and female, right? And we were in separate apartments. Like this is in College Park, Atlanta. Okay, for, for those who don't know College Park, it's like the ghetto. It's like I would hear like gunshots every night from my apartment, right? And I'm thinking, why the fuck did they put a drug rehab in the middle of one of like the biggest ghettos in the United States where you can get like crack rocks on the side of the road, right? And I'm thinking, well, that's shit. That's actually a great idea because, you know, if you can resist the temptation being in the fire itself, right? Because eventually you're going to leave that place and you have to go into the real world, right? So it's like, actually it was, as opposed to like Tennessee where you're completely isolated on a fucking farm away from anything, this was better because <clears throat> like the temptation is there, the possibility is there. You can go out any time and fucking use. But it's almost to like be able to be like in the fire, but avoid being burned. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, it was great. It was like going to like a. It's like going to college because you had to be up in class at like seven thirty, and then class started at a.m. and <clears throat> you were there to like three or four in the afternoon, going to different groups, and you had homework and shit that you had to do. And and after about six weeks, yeah six weeks then you were allowed to in threes you had to always be three like patients or whatever you could go to the gym you could go uh to the movie theater there no women no men and women together that was like only men right so you go to the gym you go to the movie theater bookstore whatever the fuck right <clears throat> so i i befriended a, <clears throat> a doctor in there he was in there for heroin. Great guy, incredibly intelligent. And uh, we kind of broke the rules. We're supposed to be in threes, but we went to the, we wake up at 5 a.m. to go do our morning cardio. And then we go after class and then go do our weights. So we were only two, but we hit, hop in his Jeep. And then we go fucking do our morning cardio. And that guy within the six week time span, right? Of training with me and I, I i rearranged his diet for him in six uh six to eight weeks man this guy put on about i'd say five to seven pounds of lean muscle just yeah because he followed exactly what i told him to do and he worked out with me and i fucking you know tell him what i knew yeah because he, he, he had a little bit of a belly on him boom the guy ha, was starting to fucking like he lost his belly he put on about five to seven pounds of lean mass because we did the whole like uh the calibers and shit and uh, body fat testing and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They actually tested him for steroids when he was in there because he looked so, he started to look so good. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? When, I mean, I don't know if you kept in touch after you got out of rehab, <laughs> but have you spoken to him since or have you heard no. of his life now? I have no idea. He could be dead for all I know. 
that's something I would imagine be horrible. Like if you made these connections in rehab and like friends, and like was there anyone who you knew in rehab who you found out later on died? Did you hear anything like that? Yeah, I think there was one guy, young guy. Yeah, he died shortly after, like two or three months after. It's kind of fucked up because, I mean, they were truthful. They were like, the first day we got there, it was like, um, we're sitting with 50 to 70 people. Statistically, within the next five years, 10% of you will be dead. So it's kind of eye-opening when someone did that, right? And then she she's like, told like different um, stories about people coming in and it was so crazy like some people would go in there right and there's a thing called cross addiction it's basically uh, you, you pick up another addiction so sports right <laughs> so you got like hang gliding and shit and bungee jumping so this guy decides to bungee jump like in this canyon or whatever and the fucking cord snaps and he falls to his death so it's like so he crossed it to, just to get that rush because that was his addiction right to get that rush and I compare that a lot to like pro wrestlers because the rush we get when we're out in front of those people or musicians or comedians or whatever right live entertainment <clears throat> some people need like in rest a lot of wrestlers I know needed something to come down so that's why they take downers <clears throat> muscle relaxers you know things of that nature right and some guys, when they get out of the business, they they need that rush that they get from the, so that's when they do uppers, right? Like the cocaines and the stuff like that, right? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was there for three months. And so, oh, here's a great story for you. So like I said, after six weeks, <clears throat> you're allowed to go like to the movies and stuff as long as you're in like uh, groups of three. So this one, these two guys from Alabama, we all decided to go, we're going to go watch a movie tonight. I'm like, okay, sweet. So the guy has a really nice Hummer and I know the directions to get to the, like I know the route to get to the movie theater, right? We're not taking the same route today. I see gun store, liquor store, gun store, liquor store. We're in the fucking hood, right? So I see this African-American gentleman on the sidewalk by a stop sign. We stop, and it's like this quick. The, the window went down, boom, and we took off. Now, I'm not saying shit. I'm in the back seat. He pulls into like this... Uh, grocery parking lot or whatever pulls out this bag of like brown powder brownish grayish <clears throat> cuts three lines one guy does a line the other guy does a line they pass the straw to me like guys just out of curiosity what, what is this it was always China white heroin. Uh, no thanks, guys. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna pass. I'm gonna pass today. So they cut that one line to two, and they did 
you know, boom. We ended up meeting with a bunch of girls there from the rehab. So we're, I mean, we were just breaking all the rules. <laughs> Let me tell you, a woman who's coming off narcotics, right? There is wild. Their libido is as high as men. There is wild. Yeah, because I see some shit in there like married women having like intercourse threesomes with like the other guys in there right and then it's like a spousal day where like your husbands and wives show up and this guy shows like her husband shows up with the baby like that she just had a baby and i'm i'm looking at this thinking i really fucking hate women like you really start to fucking hate women at this point because you're seeing this shit right because i've seen a lot of shit in the wrestling business with the girls right married women doing stuff on the side and i'm thinking well okay that's just the wrestling business it's full of no dude that happens in everyday life i seen it in fucking rehab i seen it everywhere man it's fucked anyway so the next day after the they they snorted that hair or whatever guess what we had a 6 a.m surprise drug test Basically, the yeah, they call call you up or and say, okay, it's a mandatory boom. And if you don't take it, guess what? You're either kicked out or you're given more time on your um on your sentence, basically. So like a lot of people like this Talbot recovery is like a high end, high class like fucking rehab, right? But majority, I'd say a large percentage of people that are in there are trust fund babies basically like spoiled rich kids that spend all their parents' money on dope, or these like doctors who are court ordered to be there. And if they don't like pass this program, they'll lose their medical license. They'll lose their right to practice medicine, right? <clears throat> so that's why, you know, and in my case, I was just a professor. There's like a bunch of professional athletes in there too. You know, and all the athletes were in there for the same reason. It's usually opioids for pain. Right. So anyway, we do this surprise drug test at 6 a.m. And that's why I learned if you drink enough water. Okay. You can completely dilute your, your urine and pass a drug test. Yeah, I was in there with yeah. So one of the guy, one of the guy, one of the guys was from Alabama. The other guy was from Louisiana, right? And he drank so much water in time, and he looked at his urine and he saw it was completely white or completely clear. Like I got it, boom, motherfucker passed too. So just like seven or eight hours earlier, he was fucking snorting like half a gram of heroin, but he ended up passing the drug test because he fucking diluted his urine drank enough water to you know what i mean because if you, if you if you drink enough water eventually there's gonna be like no yellow in your urine it's gonna be completely white that means it's straight up water yeah the other guy i liked him so i pissed for him i actually went around the corner i pissed for him so he, he passed and he pissed clean that was the first time the second time he asked me i said you're on your own pal i can't keep doing this if what happens if I get caught? 
right? Yeah. They might rat me out to the office, and the office might say, fuck you, Renee. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. It was um, therapists, I suppose you call them. It was uh, your favorite therapist. It was great. And was there, like, a therapist who was a complete nightmare? Um, there was this one older fellow who was really, he was really close with Eddie when Eddie went there. And we had a lot of talks about Eddie. And he said, oh, I miss that boy. I said, everybody misses that boy. Everybody misses Eddie. Like, Eddie was genuinely just a good human being, right? I mean, he had his good days and bad days like anybody else. And he had a little bit of a temper, but deep down, Eddie was just a fucking, just great person right uh there was one doctor i could tell you a story about randy orton actually going to the same place but i'm not going to maybe someday someday if wwe decides to take a knock at me on fucking television like uh, with the Kevin Owens segment where his supposed brother did the fucking annual Grand Prix tournament in Nova Scotia. Did you catch that one, James, on Raw? Not sure anymore. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, they took a. I don't know if that's supposed to be a shot or a shout out or I don't know. It's supposed to be a joke. Let me explain something to you, little fat fuck. You take a shot at me and my family. Uh, you're playing a tough guy on television. You're not tough in real life. I'll roll you up like a joint and fucking smoke you. Anyway. <clears throat> Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Ask some more questions. Insert. Well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so the, um, you come in towards the end of your rehab, and how clear-headed was your mind, like, coming towards the end of it, and how much better did you feel yourself? Oh, I was in great spirits. I felt fucking amazing. Yeah. Dude, like I said, I hooked up with that doctor, and we're in the gym twice a day. I was, no PDs. there was, there one shit. I was, and then I realized, holy shit, I'm complete natural, but brother, I feel great and I look, you know, I don't want to sound braggadocious, but I look fucking amazing. I was ripped, you know, I could still take off my shirt off because <laughs> another thing in the complex we're living in, they had a pool, right? But again, there was males and females, but we had to stay apart. We couldn't be, you know, together or whatever, right? So one day I decided to go to the pool, I take off my shirt, and then I look over to where the female apartments are. All the girls are at the balcony. One had binoculars. <laughs> Got it, flaunt it. I was like fucking, yeah, they're like sharing the binoculars with my shirt. I was like, hi. Because you know? don't forget, I'm around wrestling my entire life, right? So I'm, especially in WWE, you're around guys who are in shape all the time. You don't realize how much you stand out and how people in normal life look at you because we don't look like normal people right they do now they do now <laughs> right right i know that's part of the problem in my opinion but <clears throat> yeah so that was funny kind of an ego boost but it was funny 
so uh so yeah i did my three months and then uh you have like this little graduation period or whatever and then you have to make a speech and i have they have like all the new people that go in like the new people are being assigned they they sit there and listen to you because they're about to do what you just did and then you have to sit there and tell your story or whatever and and they they, they asked you to pick out a song so me being me, I picked out Suicide Note Part 1 by Pantera. For those of you listening to this don't know what I'm talking about, just Google that song. It's pretty fucking, it's a pretty creepy song, right? I'll try <laughs> and everyone, but I might get a copyright strike, but I'll see what I can do for everyone. Right. Yeah. So... I remember I played that song and I go up and talk and like I can just see the eyes of the people in there. It's like their fucking eyes. Like what the fuck are we getting ourselves into? Yeah. Anyway, the song is about like uh, cheap cocaine, a dry in hell, the pills that kill and take the pain away. That's like one of the open lines. Yeah, really good song. That's a really just ballad. <laughs> so yeah, the second I was allowed to leave, boom! I hop in my truck and I drive down to Florida. From Atlanta, start with FCW, right? And um, after you graduated, I suppose you could say uh, you're totally clean now. Who made the first phone call to you from WWE? For what? Uh, to see, to you know, to find out that you came out from rehab all clean. Oh no, um, I remember. Uh, Simon Dean did an interview, said that he called me every week. He's so full of shit. Listen, James, when you're in these establishments, you're not allowed to have a phone. I would that's why I thought, yeah. Yeah, no, no, you're cut all communication. All communication is cut from the outside world. They take your cell phone, there's no internet access, there's nothing. They want you to completely concentrate on you and your fucking shit, and there's no outside world interference. For him to say he called, he's a fucking liar. Sorry, you're a fucking liar. Um, I talked to the, the girl in charge a few times, and one time I had a call to Johnny. Like, oh, God, God, Renee, I can't wait to get you back. You know, make me feel good about myself. I still got six weeks. Six weeks? Oh, God. Okay, come on. We got to get you back here. So, Yeah. I finish up, I drive to Tampa, Florida, started off in FCW, was there about a week, and then I decided to drive all the way to Dallas for a Raw. So we're talking like, fuck. I'd like to say it was like almost three days, 48, like, I think it's like 48 straight hours of driving. I did, like, without well, stopping. Guys, America, you know, obviously I'm from a little island in Europe. But when people tell me, like, the size, it's hard to me imagine the size of America, like, free, not just a free hour drive, but a free day drive to get to a same yeah. state. Oh, yeah, because you got, Florida, Florida is down here, right? Then you got to drive all the way up, and then you got to go into, like, fucking Alabama, and then all these southern, boom, and then you got to drive, and Texas is huge. Texas could be its own country. I mean, I think it's like a thousand miles by a thousand. Huh? Pretty sure Texas is bigger than the UK. 
all together. I'm pretty sure it's, it's fucking huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's huge. Texas is a huge fucking state. Yeah, so I it was a long fucking drive anyway. I had like a Dodge Ram Mega Cab, one of these badass fucking trucks where you could like pull off to like a, a service area or whatever and go in the back seat and pull down <clears throat> the back seat was like a bed. You could literally make a like a, a nice sized bed out of it. Yeah. <clears throat> and the second I got to fucking Raw and Vince saw me, I was booked on Saturday night's main event. <laughs> uh, I told you I was look I was looking really good. I was lean, boom, and like just being out of like getting proper like sleep and you know what I mean? Like my skin, everything looked good, right? And Vince is all about the the look. I remember <clears throat> I hopped up on the ring apron. He was talking with Edge. They were having a conversation. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see fucking Vince start and his fucking mouth dropped. Yeah. And then I walked past him. He like, hi, Renee. I was booked on Saturday night's main event. They actually called, well, talking about Paul London, they had called Paul London up from Austin to drive down to Dallas to work a match with me. Because they knew me and Paul had... Great chemistry. Yeah, we had great chemistry. So they wanted to put me and Paul London on Saturday, night, my, Saturday night's main event. That was this, I think that was the same Saturday night's main event that Stevie worked with Sabu. No, no, Sabu had gotten fired by then. It was the following Saturday Night's Main Event. I think which one, um, it's a bit of a blur. Because obviously this is right before Benoit, you know, had suicide. This would be right no, this was, this, was, this was right after. Right, oh, right, I, yeah, of course, yeah, right. Yeah, it was right after. Yeah, Sabu was, uh, yeah, Sabu was caught by then, yeah. Yeah. Sabu... My rehab was in Atlanta. SmackDown came to Atlanta with Ozzy. Ozzy was uh, promoting his fucking uh, new record, I Don't Want to Stop. Yes. And he was playing live on the show in SmackDown. Right. And that's the day that Sabo got fired. I was, I was, asked, was there anything to do with Ozzy? <laughs> Why he got fired? Maybe. It would be, if it was, it would be hilarious. It would be hilarious, yeah. <clears throat> so, obviously, Vince McMahon's seen you and he's impressed with the way you look. You, you, you're now clean. Well, obviously, the Ben West situations happened just around about yeah. the time. Yeah. And again, it's like, it's when I started watching the media, watching the CNNs and the Fox News and the, every major fucking station. And then. Like, guess what? Like, news stations aren't exactly the, the baby face of the world, too. They're full of shit, too, right? They're all looking for the ratings and the good story, just like wrestling is, right? So they'll they'll make shit up, too, right? But, like, I knew the truth, and I also heard a lot of wrestlers on there being full of shit, let's just say, right? work for the company now mind you i came from well three months in atlanta but also another month in tennessee so four months 
of clear headed. You know, and a part of the healing process is sitting in those groups and listening to other people's stories too, right? Because then you, you know, because then you're outside of your wrestling bubble which I grew up with my whole life, then you go into the real world and you realize, holy shit, there's a lot of fucked up people in this country. <laughs> right? Yeah, so, like, I don't want to divulge all the stories, but there was some a lot of crazy shit. One guy, one guy was a gambling addict. Okay? He was a pharmacist. But he would take amphetamines, uppers, so he could work more to earn more money so he could gamble more yeah so addiction isn't exact isn't just you know you know drugs when i was in that sex addiction class holy fuck this guy was uh hooked on cocaine right and cocaine for some people is is like um it's a little increases your libido makes your sex drive you know as soon as you do a line then you're fucking thinking about sex right right i, I thought mate i've never done drugs <laughs> okay right okay. <clears throat> well i you know this is education for me right. um, yeah, i didn't know well, that let me, let me finish the story so he would he would he'd buy like a bunch of cocaine and then order and this guy had a lot of money so he get like a penthouse suite and order like high-end escorts he started with one it wasn't enough started then two then three then four it was up to the point where it's like six escorts a night okay but he had done so much cocaine that his dick wasn't working and like he wouldn't have an erection but you see how like it's it's never enough it's like you have these fantasies. Oh yeah, that'd be great, but it's an addiction. You, you build a tolerance. Like one girl isn't enough in an eight ball. Then you got to go half, you know, two eight balls and three girls and four girls, and you know, so that's just that's just the addiction. It's not just with drugs and alcohol, man. It's sex, gambling, food. You know, look at the obesity rate in the world today, especially in North America. UK too. UK is pretty bad. Well, UK is pretty bad. I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm an example of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting better. Um, that's a good question to ask you, Renee. So obviously, and we've talked about it before, you decided to leave WWE because of the memoir situation and other things. Had you not gone to rehab and you just carried on working and carrying on taking your painkillers, you say coming out of rehab and being clean that opened your eyes to everything yeah yeah clear heads do yeah. you personally think had you not gone to rehab you kept carried on working kept carrying on carrying on taking your pain pills you wouldn't have left you would have probably just carried on working in the company carried on yeah i thought so yeah a lot of and that's what's happened to a lot of wrestlers yeah yeah i would just carried on i would just been a part of the process and not that detoxing my system, my brain, getting out of that environment for a good four months and open my eyes to, don't forget, man, what age did I get there? 18. 18. 
So my whole adult life up to that point, 23, had been in the WWF system, right? I didn't, I didn't get, you know, I was straight out of fucking high school in a small French-Canadian town, right? But I grew up at wrestling too, right? So, <laughs> so then going into like the real world for four months and being around like doctors, pharmacists, a lot of spoiled rich kids. Yeah, really open your eyes up to shit, right? Yeah. So I'm glad. I'm very grateful. Grateful that they um they provided me with that help, even though they charged me for it. And like uh, people watch this, probably gonna think I sound like a fanboy, but it's something that should be applauded because you made the decision to leave WWE, and yeah. in so many of your fellow co-workers who sadly passed because they kept going with WWE, they kept taking pain uh, mm. pain pills, uh, painkillers, mm. sorry, and when those wrestlers sort of leave in WWE, they got released, it was lost, and they didn't know how to carry on, and working on the indies, for example, keep taking painkillers, and that unfortunately led to many deaths, so the yeah. fact that you managed to get yourself into rehab, got yourself clean, and you requested your release, and been on to do success in Japan, I think it's to be applauded, and when I see people online, says, oh, whatever happened to Rene Dupree, or WWE dropped the ball, which WWE did kind of drop the ball with you, but at the same time, you said yourself, you was a bit immature because of your age, but it should be applauded the fact you didn't become another statistic. Statistic, yeah. And yeah. you've gone on and have a career for yourself in Japan and various other places. Yeah. I'm still living the dream, baby. Yeah. No, I plan on doing this. What am I, 38 now? Done about 45. Yeah. So another seven years. Six, seven years. If my body holds up, knock on wood. I don't get hit by a bus. It's in great shape. Yeah. Well, that's the key, man. You know, your body's your temple. You got to take care of it. I exercise every day. I watch. I'm very, very strict on my diet. <clears throat> so, but yeah, but for people that are out there, if you're, you know, if you have a problem, man, reach it. Because right now, I don't know what it's like in the UK. I seen there's a lot of fucking uh, opiate painkiller and uh, not paid by heroin usage in the UK. I seen it. But in 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 the United States and Canada, there's this this thing, opiate, synthetic opioid called fentanyl. And I was watching documentaries last night. It is out of control. And all it takes is a couple milligrams of this stuff, and they put it in everything, and it will instantly kill you. Like, it's, it, basically, it's chemical warfare, man. And these drug cartels in Mexico, they get all their ingredients shipped from China. And those cartels, don't, they're just looking to make money. They don't give a shit where you live or die. They just want to get you hooked so they can make more more money. And they're putting it in. They're, they're even putting it in fucking street level marijuana right now. That's why marijuana should be legalized across the board. That Canada's completely legalized. They need to do that in the United States too. 
because these drug dealers don't give a fuck. They'll this fentanyl get you hooked. Oh great, here buy this pot. This is the good stuff. You don't realize what the fuck you're taking. If you get a bad batch and you take too much, <clears throat> that'd be the last joint you smoke. Trust me. Well, Renee, uh, I'll say thank you. Very honest and open episode. And uh, people that is struggling with whatever addiction you've got, uh, please uh, go out and get help. And uh, Renee's an example of someone that's beat the system, really. Obviously, we've seen so many wrestlers. Uh, Umaga, sadly, someone who comes to mind. I think he rejected going to rehab and unfortunately he's not with us and which is a great shame but yeah if you need help just please seek it um but before we go to uh, before we do go renee we'll uh, answer a few uh, fan questions before we announce uh, the next episode uh, uh right renee uh question from wazy uh, good question um what did your parents think about you going to rehab and uh, did they know that you had a problem before telling them they did not. Yeah. No. Um. Uh, I actually called them. Part of the the second rehab, part of the um process was you you had to call up your parents and tell them that you know. My dad actually said he was sorry. He was sorry that he broke me in the business so young. Yeah, he he apologized. Yeah, but um, yeah, I'm sure they had a lot of my mom more so had a lot of sleepless nights because of it, right? Yeah. Uh, parents worry about the kids anyway, so the fact that you yeah, them, I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Next question. Uh, Joe 95, uh, was there any fights in rehab? Us fans love a fight story. <clears throat> One guy uh, stole out of my wallet. <clears throat> I left my wallet on the counter and I had like 20 bucks and $20 wasn't there anymore. This guy was acting really weird. He was high on fucking heroin. And I thought to myself, this guy was younger than me, or maybe my age. I was 23, he was maybe 21, 22, and like a little skater fucking, you know, he wore Nirvana shirts and shit. And I said, I mean, I could easily take you up, tie you like a pretzel and throw you off this fucking balcony, but for 20 bucks? No, nah, Karma got him because he ended up getting kicked out of the rehab. You know, he didn't last. Uh, Maria Davis, uh, was there a time in rehab when you wanted to stop or be more determined to be successful and make it 100% through? I'd be lying if I didn't have temptations to go out and party. One of the dudes that was in there, again, he's around my age, right? Like, we were put in that 25 and under category. So I was around there with guys like, you know, 22, 23, 24, my age. And he was really into, like, uh, pornographic movies. And uh, 
There was this famous poor. She's actually Canadian. What was Lena? Laney Barbie? Lena Barbie? Anyway, there was like this fucking uh, this uh, adult bookstore right down the road from where we were in Atlanta that was going to have one of these famous porn stars do a signing. He's like, man, you want to go? I was like, fuck yeah. Something happened. We didn't end up going, but. Yeah, I think her name was Lena Barbie, Laney Barbie or something. She was actually Canadian from Vancouver. Uh, uh, last, last one, Renee. Uh, animal Instinct. Uh, did you smoke cigarettes in Rio? Yeah. Huh? Yes, I did. Oh, you did? I was going to say, yeah. because I know you still smoke now, so I can only imagine if you couldn't smoke in rehab, you would have been climbing the walls. Right. No, I chewed tobacco for years, and then I gave up chewing tobacco, and I picked up smoking, which isn't the healthiest thing, but you know what? Fuck it. Uh, a handful of times. Let me guess, when you drank, right? Oh, yeah, clubbing, because uh, when I started nightclubbing, it's when they started bringing in laws that you couldn't smoke in nightclubs anymore. Right, and, and you could tell the difference because one week you would uh, go into a nightclub and all you could smell was smoke and cigarettes. Then when they brought the laws in, also you couldn't smell that; you could just smell sweat. And um, all the girls I knew used to go outside to smoke, and obviously I wanted to try and keep some girlfriend at the time, so I used to right. go outside and pretend I could smoke. And I remember having a couple of cigarettes that night, and the next morning I went to brush my teeth, and when I spit, you know, my toothpaste out. It was brown, and yeah. I was like, "Yeah, I'm not touching another cigarette ever again." I've led a pretty boring life, Renee. I don't do drugs. I, I barely... no, you led a fucking healthy life. Well, well, if I if I wasn't so much fat, I'm a fat bastard. I would be pretty. Healthy. <laughs> so I'm, we're working on that one. So yeah, so when you do come over and we do go out partying, it's not going to be that exciting. <laughs> well, I'm not getting any younger. I told you, I went out to the club here in Tokyo a few weeks ago, and I was like, I'm too old for this shit. You know? Then we went to like this, um, like a little high-end, like, like a bar type thing. And that, that's more my type now. The, the clubs with the dancing and the din the din the din the fuck you. No, I'll go to like a nice casual bar, have a few martinis and socialize. That's, that's more of my age bracket now, you know, so. Sure, we'll sort it out. Um, but yeah, before we go, everyone, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we got a lot of uh, new subscribers the last few days. I want to say a big thank you to everyone who's new to the channel. Hopefully, you've been enjoying the content we've been putting out. And uh, if you've just clicked on this video and you haven't subscribed, please do. Uh, we passed the 4,000 uh, subscribers mark, everyone. So thank you very much. So next target, uh, 5,000 subs. So we'll see how we go. But uh, Renee, uh, I suppose everyone knows what the next episode's going to be, but tell everyone uh, who it is. Well, um, right now we're at a little over a day with the Paul London clips and Paul London episode. And it's been a great, uh, great reception. People fucking love Paul London. And I know why, because he's a great guy with great stories. He doesn't give a shit. And like I said, when we did this episode, it was what over three hours, right? <laughs> About half past two recording, I think. 
Right. No, no, because me and Paul were, were, were buddies and we really didn't have a chance to talk that much in years. So, I mean, we just went off the cuff and just didn't give a fuck. And so part two is going to be next week, folks. I know you enjoyed part one because the numbers show you did. So part two of Paul on the next week on the cafe. Yeah, everyone, thanks very much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And yeah, uh, we'll catch you uh, this coming Monday. Bonsoir.